0: Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica, And I'm your host,
1: Allison. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Today, we'd be sipping on Sip of Hope Coffee Roasters in Chicago. We <laughs> decided to get the conversation starter, and espresso blend, because obviously it's a package and there's two of us. So I am sipping on the... Uh, Conversation starter one, guys. The flavors. Name something more mean. Tiramisu, walnut mm. and tropical. Tiramisu is my all-time favorite dessert. So I good. swear to God, in the last two weeks because of my birthday and stuff, I probably had tiramisu like eighty times.
0: <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. And now it's in my coffee, and I love it. I have the espresso blend. I have a loud-ass dog who is barking at the dog below us. Everyone say hi, Buckeye. Hello, Buckeye. They're fans of the pod, actually. Like I was saying, I'm drinking the espresso blend, which is brownie, hazelnut, and dark fruit, Mm. which, you know, me. I love my hazelnut, and I love brownies, so. (laughs) Who doesn't love brownies? Honestly,
1: I'm going to need everybody to let us know what their favorite dessert is, because now we've talked about brownies and tiramisu, and... It might be early, but I might crack open a choco-choco-chip muffin.
0: Mmm. I'm a cheesecake girl. I
1: had tiramisu cheesecake recently, actually.
0: Oh, my gosh. Stop. I know. I'm a lower I, it. Where you, I, I need... You're getting all these good desserts. Thor is happy dancing about the dessert in the I background. I don't know what he's doing. Um... <laughs> So this brand is pretty awesome. They're in Chicago and they sell to Whole Foods in the Chicago area. Definitely pick it up because 100% of the proceeds go towards proactive suicide prevention and mental health education programs. Like I said, 100% gets donated to Hope for the Day. They do proactive suicide prevention through outreach and mental health education. So really awesome. Coffee company, really, really great cause. Definitely. Check it out if you are in the Chicago area or if you want to head over to their website. It's just sipofhope.com. But the coffee is really good. And their yeah. merch is so cute. Their merch is so cute. They have like cute. cute coffee cups and apparel. And they say like, it's okay not to be okay. It's really cute. It reminds me of that. Is it Demi Lovato? That song?
1: It's okay not to be okay. Is that I literally song? don't know. Oh, God.
0: No, I look like a crazy person. Oh, it is. Demi Lovato and Marshmallow. Oh, thank God. I'm not. Am I not cool? I'm thinking of a different song. What song? I'm thinking of a slower song. Oh, I'm thinking of Jessie J, Who You Are. Oh,
1: come (laughs) on. Also, while you you were talking, all I could think about was
0: um, gorgeous, gorgeous girls love coffee. (laughs) Gorgeous girls love true crime. Gorgeous, gorgeous girls love crime on caffeine. That is the next TikTok viral sound. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's going to use it for some reason.
1: Gorgeous, gorgeous girls love crime on caffeine. Because we do. We have gorgeous, gorgeous girl crew. Speaking of gorgeous, gorgeous girl crew, we (laughs) we want to give a little shout out to a pod that has been so supportive of us. So we want to be supportive of her It is the Rogue Darkness podcast, and we will just let you guys listen to her little promo right here. Witchcraft. The occult. Extremist beliefs. Murder. Tune in to Rogue Darkness each Friday and join host Raven as I uncover horrific crimes committed under the misconceptions and misunderstandings of witchcraft and other belief systems. I'll cover a wide range of crimes involving ritualistic killings and extremist beliefs, to cult persuasion and supposed possession. Anything and everything that borders the line of horrifying. There's always three sides to a story Side A, Side B, and then the truth. Let's uncover the truth together and explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. Available wherever you get your podcast fix,
0: simply by searching Rogue Darkness. So go check out that podcast. She's got episodes coming out every Friday. Yes. Should we do Fridays? Do you guys like Fridays or do you guys like Wednesdays? Nobody's telling us this information. (laughs) Why can't you talk
1: back to us? Yeah. It's like the oh my god, why am I just list I'm just having flashbacks to songs? You know that song's like kiss me through the phone. Yeah, I
0: know that song. That's like the biggest song in history. Of all time. (laughs) It's the national anthem. Um, (laughs) Speaking of the United States of America, I don't even know. I'm just using that. But I have some true crime headlines from the past week or so. Nice (laughs) segue. I'm trying. Just a couple interesting stories. So the first one I actually saw today, but the shopping cart killer in Virginia has been identified. Yeah, according to People, authorities have finally linked the shopping cart killer to 35-year-old Anthony Robinson. Robinson is suspected in the deaths of so far four people that he met from dating websites and then took to motels before killing and then transporting them in shopping carts. Authorities believe that there might be other victims that have not yet been located. But late last month, video evidence and phone records were able to link Robinson to the murders of two young women in Virginia. And this week, they found the remains of two more women near a Target shopping cart in the Alexandria area. Oh, my God.
1: How have I never heard of this?
0: Neither had I um, until I saw it the other day. Holy crap. Yeah, pretty crazy, but it's awesome that they found him. And then another one is A Louisiana judge steps down temporarily following leaked video allegedly showing her using racial slurs. So Lafayette City Judge Michelle Odenet will temporarily step down after a video was leaked of her and a few members of her household or just people that were in her house uh, using racial slurs and referring to black people as roaches during a home invasion. This was her response. She said, the incident shook me to my core and my mental state was fragile. Um, This was in a text response, not even like out loud. She said, I was a wreck and still am unable to sleep. I have zero recollection of the video and the disturbing language I used during it. Anyone who knows me and my husband knows this is contrary to the way we live our lives. I'm deeply sorry and ask for your forgiveness and understanding as my family and I deal with the emotional aftermath of this armed burglary. Um, The burglary was not armed. There was no weapon ever at the scene or with the guy who broke in. But they were just throwing around the N-word. But yeah, so she's got temporary leave of absence and they're fighting for obviously more. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, Let's take it over to uh, Pennsylvania where authorities are taking another look at the case of 27 Ellen Greenberg, who in 2011 was found stabbed to death 20 times in her Philadelphia apartment. She was a first grade teacher and her death was initially ruled a homicide, but after a few weeks, they changed it to being ruled a suicide and they never explained what led them to the change, but they just said that the only DNA found at the scene was Ellen's and there were no signs of foul play. In 2019, Allen's family filed a civil suit against the medical examiner and the pathologist, arguing that the initial findings were accurate and that there might have been more than one weapon used that wasn't found at the scene. According to People Magazine, they said, additionally, they argued that at least one of the eight wounds she had in the back of her neck would have incapacitated her, making it impossible for her to ultimately stab herself to death, not to mention 20 times. The new evidence centers on a deposition given last May by an independent medical examiner who found no evidence of hemorrhaging from at least one of Greenberg's wounds. The only reason the wound would not have hemorrhaged, the independent examiner maintained, was if Greenberg was already dead at that point, meaning she couldn't have killed herself. So there is a petition, and we'll go ahead and link it along with all of the sources on the website. So if you want to take a look at that and give it a signature, luckily they are reviewing it, so hopefully justice will be granted to Ellen and her family. Yeah, I hope so. That is so messed up. I would not buy that's a suicide. Yeah, I was
1: just about to say it's it like doesn't straight make up any overkill whatsoever that that could have been a suicide.
0: A poor family. It'd be so frustrating you can't even imagine. Yeah, I feel
1: really bad for them. Hopefully we get some more news on that soon. But my case today
0: luckily has some light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, we love that. Might be on the shorter side, but this is a case that has stuck with me ever since I heard about it. So I just knew I wanted to do it. And I'm really excited to tell it because, I don't know, this story, just like, it's not a well-known case by any means. It's not anything crazy. It's just one singular girl and... What happens is, I don't know, wild. So let's get into it. Angela Marie Samoda, who went by Angie for short, was born on September 19th, 1964 in California to Frank and Betty Ruth Samoda. She had four siblings and she went to Southern Methodist University for computer science and electrical engineering. Wow. This girl was smart. Yeah, I know. That is incredible. I- Literally couldn't even spell engineering while I was typing this, so good for her. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's fine. It's Um, fine. So (laughs) while she was enrolled at SMU, she was a Zeta. Oh, my God, me too. Oh, my gosh. I was trying to just gather as much personal info about her as I could, but there's not, like, a ton. So She's a sister of mine. (laughs) <laughs> On the night of November 12th, 1984, Angela went to the Texas State Fair with her two friends, Russell Buchanan and Anita Kadala. She invited her boyfriend, Ben McCall, as well, but he decided to stay in that night because he had to be up really early in the morning for his construction supervisor job. And the fair was really, really big that night, especially for all the college students in the area because the University of Texas was playing Oklahoma in their rivalry game that weekend, so... It was, there were like a million people there.
1: Wait, that's what happened to me when I got stranded in
0: Dallas. They were
1: playing Oklahoma. No
0: way. I didn't know that was happening while you were there. Yes, Damn. that's why I couldn't find a hotel room. It's a big That was game. not the weekend for you. Yeah, it's no. like Ohio State-Michigan. It's uh, the Red River Showdown or some something like that. Okay, research. That's the extent of my football knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> So after the fair, they went out until about 1 a.m., and Angie drove her two friends home and then stopped at Ben's house to say goodnight and then came home. And she lived right next to Russell, like just a few minutes away driving. So according to police reports, she called Ben at 1.45 a.m. to tell him that a man was in her house and she was letting him use the phone and the bathroom. Um, she had a roommate named Sheila Gibbons, but she was home visiting family that weekend. So it was just Angie there. She didn't say whether like, she just let him in or he just like came in or what, but she asked Ben to stay on the phone and to talk with her for a little while. So she wasn't like alone or scared. And then really abruptly, she just said she would call him back and she just hung right up. So he didn't hear from her again. He was like, what the hell? So he drove to her place and he started knocking, but there was no answer. He tried to open the door, but the door was locked. Now this is crazy because it's 1984. Remember, so because of his job, he had a cell phone on him, which ah, is just like that never happens. So he was no. able to call police right then and there. Oh, good. So police arrived on the scene around 2:15 a.m. and entered to find Angie nude on her bed, blood everywhere. She'd been raped and stabbed 18 times all over her chest to the point where her heart was practically like cut out of her body. It was like lying <gasps> on top of her chest. Oh my god. Yeah, super fucked up. So, obviously, immediately, Ben was a suspect. Boyfriend, you're there. Called 911. Yeah. It's a given. So was an ex of Angie's who had gotten violent with her in the past, threatened her with a knife or something like that. And then the other suspect that they had was Russell Buchanan because he was with her that night. She dropped him off. He lived five minutes from her. In fact, he was the main suspect for the entire case. Here's the problem. They had no evidence to link any of the men to the crime. They literally had no idea what happened. Great. And Ben obviously told the police about this guy, but how would they have known who he was? There's, They have no evidence uh-huh. there. They did find one thing, and I've definitely talked about this before in a different case. I don't remember what it was, and I know you don't like this word, but I'm going to bring it up again. But... Like I said before, Angie was raped, and so during the autopsy they were able to see that the suspect was a non-secretor. Yeah. Which means that when they secrete or produce semen or saliva, there's no blood in it. Sorry, I know you don't like that word. How does that not make you gag? I because it's science. No, it literally like I have I feel ill just listening to. Oh the word. grow
1: up. I wish.
0: <laughs> but only about 20% of the biologically male population are non secretors. So this led them to easily roll out Ben and Angie's ex boyfriend because they were both secretors. But Russell Buchanan was part of that 20% that was a non secretor. What are the chances? What are they? 20%. Oh. <laughs> The police brought Sheila, her roommate, to the station when she got home because one of the girls in the sorority called her to tell her that Angie had been murdered. And she said that it was the most traumatic experience of her life. She wasn't even there, but just the whole situation. So she went to the station to help out, answer any questions, and they asked her to take Russell out for dinner to see if he told her the same story that he told the police, you know, try and catch him in a lie, like anything Mm -hmm. So the story that he told them was that he'd gone to Houston to see his family right the next morning after that night out. So he hadn't even heard about Angie's murder until he got back into town. But they had no other suspects, really. So everyone was convinced it was him. Sheila was convinced it was him. And she was like, Mom, I have to go out to dinner with him. And her mom was like, he's a murderer. She was freaking out. But yeah, she went out to dinner with him. And she said that he told her the same exact story that he told police. There was literally nothing that made him look. Like, he was guilty or whatever, but, like, she still thought it was him, obviously, because they had nothing else to go off of. So they gave him a polygraph, and he took it and passed. And then after this, he stopped cooperating lawyered up because he was like, I didn't do this. Leave me the hell alone. Mm -hmm. So because of this, the case went cold until 2006. Oh, my God. That's a really long time. A really long time. So I want to talk about Miss Sheila for a minute, this angel. So her roommate, Sheila Gibbons, who is now Sheila Wysocki, they met on their first day of school in 1982. And she said about Angie, she said, Angie had a beautiful smile, the biggest I've ever seen, the type of smile that would light up her whole face. She was very vivacious and friendly and one of the few girls in the computer science and electrical engineering department. She was a triple threat, great personality, real cute and smart. Sheila said that the first semester of school, they really weren't close because Angie had a boyfriend that she did not fuck with at all. But then they broke up and they got super close and they became best friends. And so they like continued to live with each other the next couple of years. And they bonded over their similar childhoods as they both grew up without fathers. But Sheila said that they were polar opposites, but they still got along so perfectly. Aww. And she was still convinced that Russell was responsible for Angie's murder. Like I said, she said that finding out about this and it happening obviously in because they shared a home so it happened in her home she said it was the most traumatic moment of her life she never went back to school after this and she lived at her mom's for like a really long time but she was so determined to figure out what happened to angie and she continued to meet with detectives to discuss the case and possible leads the main detective assigned to the case she became really really close to was meeting him for meals talk about everything like he was literally he went to her wedding that's how close they were
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow.
0: Yeah. She was not giving up on this case, clearly. Um, But one night in 2004, 20 years since Angie's death, Sheila was at home with her family in Tennessee. She was married now with two children, and this is where they lived, and she was doing Bible study homework. And according to Sheila, as she was reading passages from the book of Daniel, Angie appeared to her in a vision This is what she said. She said, I was reading, and then I remember looking to the right, and there was Angie. I thought, am I dreaming? Am I asleep? What is it? There was no talking. It was just her and her great smile. I don't know if I believe in ghosts, but I have a lot of faith, and I believe that there are messages. And at that moment, I thought, it's time. I leaned over to my nightstand and picked up the phone and called the Dallas Police Department just like that. Wow. But this was super weird. The dude that had been assigned to the case, went to her wedding. They were super close. He was like straight up ghosting her because she was leaving like a million messages at this period of time. He never returned a single call. She said that in this period of time, she probably called him over 700 times and he not once called her back. Why? So she, yeah, she said she was really bitter over it because they were super close and it was clearly he'd just given up on the case. That's so messed up. So messed up. I mean, but also I feel like he just didn't know how to face her because it's so hard. He probably gave up on the case and was like, it's never getting solved. I'm pretty sure either him or another detective said to her, some cases just aren't meant to be solved, which I would have. Uh, oh my God. I would have freaked out. Every case is meant yeah. to be solved. It's so messed up. But she started to do some investigating of her own. She began looking into all the related crimes in the area around the same time frame and tried to just connect some dots. And she was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to become a PI. Oh wow. So literally just to solve her best friend's murder, she went and she studied and she took classes and in Tennessee you have to get the okay from someone who works in like security or like policing or public safety something like that to like go and take the exam to get your PI license. So mm-hmm. they lived in a gated community and they have security guards there so they gave the okay for her to do it. So she went and she passed the exam, got her license, and she was like, all right, cool. Now the police are going to take me seriously. But they didn't. <laughs> they didn't care, but they reopened the case because they knew that she was not about to stop trying. And so in 2006, they passed it off to a female detective, thank God, named Linda Crumb. Girl power. Clearly, this they needed a woman on this who actually gave a shit about finding this. I feel like, I don't know if they were just This happens so often, it's not going to get solved, it's been so long, like, it's just another raped and killed woman. They gave up. But, here's the thing. Detective Crumb told Sheila that they did have evidence, even though detectives told Sheila that it had been lost years ago in a flood. What? Yeah. Thank Hmm. goodness for Linda Crumb. But they had her fingernail DNA, which meant she fought back because there was the skin underneath. They had blood and they had semen. So, obviously, DNA testing was a lot more advanced than it was in the 80s, so they were able to do something with it, but the results did not come back until 2008. Wow. In 2008, Linda called Sheila up, and she just said, we got him. And initially, Sheila just thought she meant Russell— but she was actually referring to a man named Donald Bess, who was a convicted rapist who had been out on parole during the time of Angie's murder, and he was serving a life sentence for sexual assault at the time. Oh, my God. I just feel like if you're going to get a life sentence, you shouldn't get parole. I just I just no. feel like that shouldn't be a thing. No,
1: no. I'm with you.
0: Donald Andrew Bess was born on September 1st, 1948 in Arkansas. And Angie's case would be the third woman he was convicted of abusing. But during the trial, several women, including Donald's ex-wife, came forward to say that they'd also been raped and abused by this monster as well. One woman said that Bess raped her in September 1977 at her Houston apartment after coming to her door at 11 p.m. and asking her out. Kind of like the same type of ruse that he did with Angie. Uh Like, he went to her door and instead of asking her out, because the woman said no, so clearly it didn't work. He decided something else. He was like, I'm going to tell her I need the phone in the bathroom. Angie was clearly a really nice person, so she wasn't about to say no, which I I understand you guys are nice. We're nice. Do not ever fucking, don't even answer the door. No. Don't answer the door. (laughs) I would never. If you have a window you can look out to see it, great. If you are home alone, do not answer the door. I don't answer the door. Nate answers the door. I never answer the door. So he asked this woman out at her door. She said no. He asked for a drink of water. And then after drinking the water, he turned to go, but instead locked the door, grabbed her, covered her mouth with his hand, and then, you know, raped her. But he was found guilty of all charges and sentenced to death. He has since filed multiple appeals, all of them being rejected by the court, and he remains on death row today at 72 years old with no set date for execution. I think he's in um, the hospital, but yeah, so he's chilling, waiting to die. Wow. As he should because he's a monster. After the trial, Sheila had planned to retire her PI license, but people kept on writing her letters and reaching out to her for her services. So she was like, you know what? I should just keep doing this. And she now has her own firm in Tennessee called Without Warning Private Investigation. Yay. I did want to mention that she did reach out to Russell Buchanan when this was all over. She asked for his forgiveness, and they visited Angie's grave together, and he's a very successful architect working in Dallas. About the case, he said, You don't realize how stressful it is until it's over, and then you're just physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted. That's when I think I finally realized it was done, that this chapter had finally been closed. He said, although he's an extremely private man, he doesn't mind the public attention that comes with his name being attached to Angie's case as it is no source of embarrassment for him. He said, I do not want this event to define who I am. It will always be a part of my life. Yeah, that's the case of Angie Simona, which I just think is incredible. If your bestie is not becoming a PI to solve your unsolved murder case, is she your bestie? no she sure ain't if your bestie ain't gonna move
1: heaven earth and all the things in between get yourself in <laughs> the new dallas
0: one. police department
1: <laughs> she ain't gonna get up in the dallas police department <laughs> get a new
0: one so that is the case of angie Samoda. tragic but awesome that it was solved and to think it probably never would have been solved if it weren't for her This is why these unsolved cases need people pushing and pushing and vouching for them, because if Angie didn't have that, her case would still be unsolved today, and this dude would literally still be walking around on parole. I mean, he probably would have been arrested for something else at this point, but he was literally on parole when he did this. The recidivism rate for sexual offenders, I think, is, maybe like 19% or something. I think it depends on like the type of crime they would be committing afterwards, whether it's sexual or non-sexual, but Mm -hmm. he escalated. So it's, I don't know. I think that's insane.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at cases that happened so long ago, but not only did she have somebody to continue to fight for her, but technology allowed, Mm -hmm. like the advancements in technology allowed them to better pinpoint exactly what happened and I feel like if we just continue to push for certain cases that like Erica said earlier some the guy was like some cases just aren't meant to be solved no every case is meant to be solved but you have to have people who are willing to do
0: what this lady did and just change her entire life's course Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, um, at this point, the Dallas Police Department didn't even have, like, a cold case unit. They just had a homicide unit. And after this, they decided to open up a cold case unit, which, thank God, I don't know how a police department wouldn't have that. I mean, I guess resources, but yeah, so important because so many cases have been getting solved these past couple years because of DNA and technology advances. It's amazing. If you guys want us to cover any other... Cases that were unsolved that have been solved these last few years will definitely do that. Yeah, I do find that very interesting because
1: they were once unsolved, but now they have a definite
0: answer. And you know me, I don't like that unsolved crap that you'd be doing. No, nope. Because I need an answer. So, hey, if this podcast helps to push on those unsolved cases so that we can reopen them and solve some damn cases, that'd be amazing. That'd be a blessing. So thank you guys so much for listening. You can go ahead and check us out on all streaming platforms. We are on Spotify, Apple Music, where on Spotify, you can now leave ratings only yes. if you've listened to episodes, though, so... Main people can't go on there and just be giving us one star anymore. So go ahead and leave us a rating on Spotify if you haven't done it already. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review if you feel nice. But we really appreciate it. After this episode, we are going to hit 10,000. So that's so – that's like unreal. Yay! I This was just something that Allison and I used to talk about at our terrible – first agency job that we worked at we just talked about we should start a podcast all the time and now here we are at great agencies now with ten thousand downloads on our podcast so it's amazing we appreciate you guys so much and we're just
1: living our best lives with all of you so thank you guys so much and um obviously we're still doing that 10k download giveaway so if you do want to enter we won't be choosing a winner until early of the new year. So just all, literally, all you have to do is just post about us on your Instagram story and tag us. You can be listening to a podcast episode. You could just, as Erica said last week, black screen, tag us. Doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as you are just, you know, promoting the girls. Also, we just want to say Merry Christmas to all of those who Merry are celebrating Christmas. Christmas. I can't Merry believe it's next week. Christmas. Oh.
0: And everybody, please stay safe. I know COVID is going rampant, at least in Chicago. I know New York, it's crazy right now. So please stay safe. Um, I just want everyone to be able to see their loved ones for Christmas and for everybody to be happy and healthy. So just stay safe and just be kind and be conscientious and aware of those around you and have an amazing holiday.
1: Yes, thank you so much. And... We'll just catch you on the next one guys.